Sijun prides itself on supporting journalists throughout their working day. They have a handy and free media request service, which helps you get the info you need for your stories. You can also set up a free professional profile on Cision and connect directly with PRs. Meanwhile, cisionjobs.co.uk is the perfect job site to find your next great role. Finally, the Media Moves newsletter is a fantastic place for freelancers and staffers to shout about their new jobs, new beats or availability for commissions. Come and join the Cision family. Find out more by visiting cision.co.uk forward slash journalists dash services. and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor and I'm Emma Wilkinson. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode with the help of two great guests we give practical tips about working for yourself. Yeah so it's been a crazy week for me juggling half term and many 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 deadlines um, but I can finally see some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I know that feeling. Um, I was covering uh, the budget and that's always a bit of a mad dash to get hold of people for reaction pieces. Um, I also chatted about the budget with one of our guests today who hosts his own money podcast and um, he stepped across from the world of television into blogging and podcasting. So we're going to be discussing that with him today. Yeah, so today's topic is going to be about blogging and how it overlaps with and differs from freelance journalism. Um, But before we do that and introduce our guests, let's do our highlights of the week. Lily, what's yours? I think mine has been um, an article I've been writing uh, where I've been speaking to some very inspirational runners um, about their sort of journeys into running. And one guy I spoke to has gone from drinking on average about 50 pints a weekend, which is quite a feat in itself, uh, to now uh, two years later, he can run a sub three hour, three hour marathon. Um, and he's actually aiming for a two and a half hour marathon this year. So uh, full kudos to him, I think, for uh, for doing that. But it's been really fascinating speaking to him and other people with some, some really interesting running stories. What's your highlight been, Emma? Um, I've been thinking about this and I think my highlight is just that last week is over or that October's over because it was just one of those months and we all have them as freelance journalists where everything had happened at once and all the deadlines came at once and all the work, I had so much teaching and I probably did take on too much. But I also had uh, all three children's birthdays to deal with as well and my birthday and I was limping to the finish line last week. So I am just really happy that it's November and everything's calmed down and I can finally see the wood for the trees again. And I did actually have a weekend where I didn't do any work. I didn't turn on my computer or anything. So yeah, I'm going to bring back some of that life work balance. Yeah, that's quite ironic considering this series, we've done an episode on how to say no. So I think this is something you're still working on. I'm, I'm learning as I go, only 15 years into the journey now. <laughs> Great. OK, well, let's move on to our topic today and introduce our guests. First, we have money saving geek Andy Webb, who runs the award winning blog Be Clever With Your Cash. Andy also writes a money advice column for Metro and previously worked for the BBC Money Programme, moneysavingexpert.com and the Money Advice Service. 
And we also have Marissa Bate, a journalist who writes about stories that impact the lives of women for The Guardian, The Times, Marie Claire, Stylist and more. Marissa was shortlisted for the inaugural Freelance Writing Awards for her newsletter and blog, Writing About Women. Yeah, so thank you both very much for coming on today. Our topic is blogging and we want to explore its relationship with freelance journalism and how it's evolved over the years. But Andy, let's start with you. Your background is TV production at the BBC. Um, So tell us actually how you made that move into blogging and at what point did you decide to make it your full-time job? Yeah, so I, I was in TV production at the BBC for about five, six years, and then slowly sort of moved into different management roles there. And they were fine, but they weren't kind of giving me that kind of creative uh, you know, output that, that I needed. So when I left there after God, nearly 11 years, I was at the BBC. When I left, I'm like, right, I need to do something which is going to give me that outlet once again. And uh, somehow personal finance, which I didn't realise could be uh, a hobby, but I think it was a hobby of mine. It's something I'd always been like, interested in the day-to-day life always been helping friends money saving switch their bills all this kind of stuff that kind of thought well that could be the the topic and the outlet and I started the blog just so I could have something to to do something to sort of to 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 write about and uh, it kind of grew from there I ended up um, getting approached to run the blog for the money advice service which I did for for a while so I was doing them in tandem my own personal blog be clever your cash and their blog and um, eventually the blog grew to the extent that it was taking up more of my time earning me more of my money that that could become my full-time job so that I do some sort of freelance bits on the side you mentioned Metro and I've got Reader's Digest as well but most of my time and most of my income has over the last sort of eight years gradually sort of transitioned into into the website. Yeah I mean I guess that shows as well doesn't it how it can grow over time and not necessarily be what you um, you know what it starts out can become a very different beast ultimately and um, Marissa your blog began I think about 12 months ago um, and that sort of I get the impression that that was driven by a personal frustration at the lack of a female lens in media coverage and um, why tell us a bit more about why you set it up and sort of what you were hoping to do with the blog yeah I set it up for a few reasons actually <clears throat> it was mid-pandemic And as a freelancer, work was just drying up. And um, I was living with my partner who had never been busier and I just needed something to do. Um, But also I was watching, you know, my uh, patch, I guess, is women, um, particularly things like domestic abuse. And obviously the pandemic was a real, even more of a crisis. Um, Women were taking the brunt of caring responsibilities. Women were at the front of um, care services. And so I felt like this thing that I've been writing about for most of my career was sort of really coming into sharp focus, not necessarily having the outlet to write about it that I was used to. Um, And then that was also kind of, it was also propelled a little bit by, I guess, since I've been freelance for the past four years, never really finding a place to publish where I could really feel like it was my voice 100%. Um, And and then then I kind of on top of that, I was, I think the the pandemic and the loss of the work had sort of hit my self-confidence quite a lot. And um, I read a book, which I guess you would probably kind of put under self-help by a woman called Tara Moore, 
And it just sort of made me realize I needed something of my own. I needed something of my own to rebuild my confidence, to find my voice again, to use my voice and to kill some time. Um, and that's really how it came about. And it's very basic and uh, very much for me. Um, so I didn't have any grand plans. I didn't have any you know, hustle or self-promotion. It was, it was very much something to help me get through that time and kind of discuss a lot of the frustrations I was seeing happening around me. And in those early days, did you have feedback from readers, from followers who'd found you and kind of did that kind of then do that confidence boost that you were you were looking for? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, when I launched it, I mean, launch sounds grander than when I kind of pressed publish. Uh, there was a nice response from, I guess, the community I already have. Um, and then I guess because it's partly a newsletter, as those numbers grew slightly, that was encouraging. Um, yes, I mean, that helps, but I think that's not the motivation. You know, I think the motivation to, to write after you've been writing all day has to come from somewhere else. And I think that's, that's what it, that's where it was. Yeah. I, I obviously needed to do it for some reason, personal to me. Yeah. And it's really interesting that both of you have come at this from a kind of personal point of view, like something you, you've wanted to do, you, you've wanted that sort of creative outlet. And I think that's the really interesting thing about blogging is it sort of started as this sort of open platform where, you know, anyone could set up a blog, but it has very quickly become professional and, and in some cases monetized. And I guess what we're interested in exploring is that kind of how that overlaps between kind of journalism and research-based jobs um, and, and, and blogging and that, that sort of crossover of skills. Um, I mean, I wonder kind of, Andy, if I could bring you in here and sort of how do you think your sort of previous work, perhaps your, your work in television or research work has is, is helped inform and shape your blogging? Because you obviously worked on money programmes, but you also worked on other things like Crime Watch. So did you find there were transferable skills there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the term blog is so kind of broad, exactly what it means. And lots of people do approach it from... Uh, kind of in the personal finance world, they're diarising kind of well, you know, a personal uh, web log, you know, what they did that day and stuff. Mine's been very different, although I always make sure there's elements of me in there. That editorial that I had from all that time at the BBC has been sort of key all the way through, you know, in, in ensuring the kind of the, the principles that go into it, that impartiality, um, the kind of making sure that what I'm writing is correct. <laughs> you know, I still treat it as I would have done a script for a, you know, a, a TV program. It, it's, and then that was transferred into my freelance work that's come later on. Again, in exactly the same way. I approach it in, in very, very much uh, the same way. And um, Marissa, you alluded to this. Your blog is also a, a newsletter. Um, can you talk us through kind of your decision in setting that up? And if you see any difference between the two or a newsletter is really the new blogging Lily and I have had this conversation I don't know that we've actually come to a, a conclusion on it so I'd be really interested in um in your view on that is it just the same content reaching different audiences or are there, are there sort of differences there I mean I think it's a bit as Andy was saying there's just different iterations of these things um and it depends what you are you're after as a reader or you're after as someone creating these things for me it was 
um, I guess I'm always thinking of a reader and as a reader, you know, I'm really reluctant to sign up to anything else in my inbox. So I think when I was starting out, I didn't want the only way for people to read this was to hand over their email address and get something in their inbox. Um, and so I, I made it very much a thing that you can sign up if you want, but it's always available just on your Twitter feed or, you know, that way. So that was really important to me to not put that, um, to not turn people off basically that way. Um, I think, I mean, one of, I guess one of the biggest differences I see between newsletters and, and blogs is I think there's an intimacy with a newsletter because there's a commitment and therefore there's a greater level of engagement because you have committed to have that thing in your inbox. And I think a lot of the newsletters that have kind of sprung up um, lately that do well are often quite service-based as well. You know, you will get advice, um, you will get tips on, on whatever the subject it is, and people are really looking for that kind of takeaway material. Um, and so I think news, and, and that's when I think you can start to monetize, when people feel like they're getting something. Um, whereas a blog, and I love blogs, I, I love the kind of slightly random blogs of just great writing, but you're not necessarily getting, you know, it depends what you're prepared to pay for, essentially. Um, yeah, I think there's so many variables. Um, I think newsletters have become fashionable, and I think as journalists kind of scatter and try and figure out how the hell to make any money, newsletters and um, Substack and all of those things are now looking like perhaps this is an avenue, perhaps this is how we do it. We, we don't, you know, media organizations are getting smaller, budgets are getting smaller, perhaps we can monetize ourselves, extension of this whole side hustle culture. You know, that's a whole other conversation, I think. So I think it's what you're looking for. You know, obviously some people can monetize them. And I think when you're monetizing newsletters, to me, that feels like a more of an operation than a blog. I think one of the joys of blogs is slightly their amateurist nature. You know, that's, I like a blog that feels like it's just someone's passion project. And maybe there's a typo, but I kind of enjoy that. And I think, whereas I'm seeing increasingly slick newsletter operations that look like there's two or three people behind them and sometimes there are and those people are paid and so personally um like blogging reminds me of like earlier internet days where it was just a bit more free and creative and wild and, and did it feel very different from the journalism work you've been doing because you were saying it was the only place that you felt you could be a hundred percent you how, how did how do you feel that the writing and the process differs when it comes to doing the blog yeah so a lot of the journalism I do is for the eye paper and and the features you know are third person in voice they're case study led they're full of experts they're you know my editor is exceptionally meticulous um as she should be and that's wonderful and I have learned so much but it's it's almost quite formulaic you know I'll pitch the idea We'll get the story and then in and I feel and these are things I um issues I'm very passionate about and that kind of scratches one itch because I feel these stories are really important but they don't feel um creative and I I've never wanted to kind of be a news reporter or a news journalist where that is you know I know some journalists that's what they love but for me um increasingly um it's I, I've wanted an outlet to create you know something more first person I guess yeah, can I add on to that as well? One of the things I really, really love about having my own blog, my own website, is that I have total editorial control. You know, I'm not pitching to anyone. I'm just coming up with an idea and finding the topic and then 
writing about it and then putting it live and then you know people are reading it it's it's really lovely to have that in so many ways i mean we've all had experiences where actually you know sometimes editors can be too picky and tear things apart and it's nightmare we've had the flip side well actually your work gets better because someone's had a look at it so there are pros and cons to it but yeah i i i love it so much that, that i don't have to kind of worry about uh particular angle that's going to make it slightly different from what they're looking for this week or something you know it's all mine it's it's a real it's a real lovely thing to have yeah you do have that total control don't you but I suppose with that comes the caveat um you know if this is the way you're you're earning your income then you've got to be thinking about you know how you monetize it and those those income streams and obviously the the market is very saturated now and I think particularly the the money blogging market and I just wonder, Annie, if you've got any advice for someone who's kind of thinking of starting to launch a blog and maybe thinking of monetizing it in the future, like w- what tips would you have for them? Yeah, so there are a few ways that kind of, I guess, blogs do get monetized. Um, if you've got enough traffic, then things like display advertising uh, can, can be actually really quite good if you have enough uh, people coming to the site. And that's where the bulk of my money is, is coming from at the moment which is lovely. Um, there's also something called affiliate marketing, which I think we're probably getting more and more used to this in the freelance world as well. We see that being sort of put into articles by other people on the on the publications, don't we? Where if someone clicks on the link, uh, then the publication will get a, a cut of that money if, they, if a purchase is made. Um, but again, they do require traffic. They require a lot of traffic for them, those numbers to add up. The small amounts get bigger when more people you know view the article. The other side, which is interesting with the world of blogging and this is sort of going into that sort of uh, influencer world as well is the kind of sponsored content now I don't do this I've never done this I've taken that kind of whether rightly or wrongly I've been lucky I've not had to take the money but I've chosen not to do that um, but lots of places lots of bloggers um, and again you see they say in on Instagram and, and TikTok and places as well now they'll get paid by a brand to talk about their product now sometimes they have editorial independence there they can say what they like they just want to get the content on the website and a link that's on it sometimes it can be quite controlling so that's something to to think about but what's really interesting there as well from a freelancer's perspective is that again if you've been doing this long enough uh you can get paid much more <laughs> for writing an article and putting it on your blog do you might get for putting it in a, in a national newspaper so it's really kind of thinking about why do i start doing this if you can build up that traffic over time build up a reputation um, then you might be able to sort of supplement or even, even surpass um, your, your money uh, and keep writing, keep doing stuff, potentially keep your independence, but someone's doing it for you. Again, I've chosen not to do that, but you could do it. In terms of the saturation of the market right now, it's if F1 didn't do something because someone was doing it better, then no one else would have tried something. You know, if I'd looked at when I, you know, eight years ago when I started, I actually did an internship at Money Saving Expert, like my early 30s, it, you know, it was quite an experience. But I did that. If I thought, well, what's the point of me starting my own money blog? Because you've got Martin Lewis and they've got a massive team behind them and all this, you know, people, they don't, I wouldn't have started and I wouldn't be where I am now. So absolutely give it a go, give it a start, but have your expectations. I would say, put, make them uh, realistic. That it's not going to be an overnight success. It does take time unless you are particularly lucky. Yeah, and I guess it's all about that the sort of personal touch that you bring to it. Like you say, it, it doesn't matter if there's other people out there doing that. You, you're always going to be a fresh voice and have a fresh take because you're somebody different in a different set of circumstances. So, yeah, it's kind of not 
you're right kind of being aware of the market and potential competitors but not kind of getting too worried about it I suppose yeah it's like yeah it comes back to working out from the start what your unique selling point is and then kind of going from there and Marissa kind of moving away from direct monetization for a bit I wonder if you think a blog can be a good way to raise your profile as a freelance journalist we sometimes get asked this by people who are starting out you know is it a good idea to have a blog you know could this potentially lead to other paid work is that showing somebody that I can write for example what what do you think about that again I think like Andy said it there's um an expectations level you know I think um it it, it can't hurt to have um you know a track record of, of some writing and I think it shows a an enthusiasm and a passion um but I also think we have to be careful that we're not asking people junior people who are not paid very much to do hours and hours and hours of extra work um, and we don't have this culture which we we have kind of indulged in in recent times where you know all the side hustle all the extra working for free is a really is a massive problem and um obviously a bit class divide and, and all those sorts of things so I think we have to be careful that we're not saying to people to young people who are getting you know who are struggling on a, on a not good enough wage and probably working long hours to saying yes and on your Sunday can you knock out 800 words every week and I don't think that's a culture I'd, I'd um, support but then I think you know if it comes naturally to you if you want to do it then absolutely um, I, I don't think it's a hard and fast rule um, I didn't blog this is my first blog you know um, I've had several jobs um, so I think there are other ways to get yourself noticed in the industry now I mean I wasn't really coming up around social media in the way it is now um, and I think that changes a lot too in the mix but I, I I wouldn't tell too many people to do things for the sake of it you know um, have an online presence you know have links to work bits of work you're proud of but you know if you're writing for the sake of it it's probably not it's probably not going to be that great anyway um if I'm honest so yeah I think um I think it's an individual call yeah I think if it's something that and I've kind of advised students this if it's something that you do that you're keen to do and you want to do then you have to be aware that then you have to keep doing it and post things because otherwise you've got something out there that's sort of half finished or half done or you posted a couple of things and then never again and actually what does that say are you better off just having a portfolio of work that's up to date so it's about all those pros and cons and knowing what's manageable for for you and your circumstances I think it can give you that sort of sense of um if you want to reposition yourself though it is a great opportunity for you to to get in there so I said my background is in tv production you know I didn't go and do a journalism qualification or anything yes there was lots of training at, at the BBC and lots of you know on the job sort of uh you know improvement of my skills but I've never until recently actually written for big publications. In fact, this Metro column, which I've only been doing for the last couple of months, is the first time I've had a byline in a newspaper. I've had it in magazines before, but actually, you know, that excitement you get of picking up a copy and your name is there in in print on paper um, was really exciting. And I mean, that probably came about more from the fact that I run my website, my blog, than my other freelancing work. You know, I got that as a result. So maybe some people maybe you are you starting off from scratch I think it's great to have if it's difficult to get that first sort of step a blog can help you you know get there have at least some portfolio or maybe you are you know you're writing about personal finance but your dream is to write about fashion maybe again that's the way to sort of show that 
you can and have a voice in that in that different world yeah and again it comes back to having a having a purpose doesn't it a reason to be doing it rather than doing it for the sake of doing it or because you think you think it's going to help you in some way um yeah and I think that idea of repositioning yourself and using it as a tool to do that um yeah that's that's a really good point I mean something I wanted to come back to that you alluded to earlier Andy you said you don't have any sponsored content um but I wonder if you particularly now if you're doing more stuff um for other publications if you ever come across any sort of conflicts of interest with your blog and perhaps other work or, or companies that you work with kind of what what sort of considerations do you have to have yeah I mean I can talk about some of what happens to some friends and sort of colleagues of mine who in the personal finance world where they've had pretty decent sort of sponsored uh content contract with a personal finance firm um paid very well um of a product that that person was sort of quite actually a fan of as well so editorially they were fine with it but what it also meant was as part of that contract they couldn't write about competitors and then that became a problem when sort of pitching to uh, you know one of the, the broadsheets on a, on a particular or a story they were commissioned to write something it suddenly becomes well, what do you do and this person was obviously confident enough to kind of push back and say look I have to be able to do this this is still part of my job but I can see where that could become a bit of a uh, a complication so you just have to be kind of you know, make sure you understand exactly what you're signing up for um, and be aware that if it is something you might want to tackle in a freelance gig elsewhere, uh, what the kind of the, the comeback on that might be. It might be you lose sponsored content from that provider later on down the line because they've seen you, you know, talk up somebody else or potentially you might even have to say you don't like something from these other people you have been endorsing so it, it can be quite a delicate one to, to manage which is why I'm so glad that I don't have to <laughs> I just ignore the sponsored stuff yeah I mean one thing that I want to ask um both of you that's a bit of a departure from what we've just been talking about but I wonder Marissa I'll start with you do you ever struggle to come up with ideas oh yeah. think, what am I going to write about <laughs> oh yes <laughs> yeah I mean my currency's ideas, right? And and I and I pitch all week long. So yeah, you know, um, and ideas do not come from sitting at desks. So uh, and we've just come out of a pandemic where you couldn't leave the house. So ideas, I feel like it's been a, it's been a hard time on ideas. Um, yes, and I think um, and and the in the I you know for me personally, the writing is just not as good when I'm writing something because. I feel like I should, you know, that I haven't put the blog out for, you know, I try and put it out every third week. That doesn't always happen. Um, and that will be because I, I haven't found anything good enough. And I think, you know, somebody, a friend of mine who has a very successful blog said to me, you know, people are so, there's so much to read and you have such little opportunities to get somebody's attention. Wait and put something good out. And then they'll they'll read it hopefully, and then hopefully they'll read more, as opposed to putting something out that's and and that's really so yes. If I if my uh, and you know it's a frightening thing. You know ideas are these sort of things that kind of float around, and um, especially in the blog, you know my ideas and my journalism are much more linked to the news, and that's they're always around. But the blog, which is much more personal, um, and 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 I just step away. I've learned, you know, I just step away and. Um, try and 
engross myself in something else, you know, a book, a film, anything. Um, often conversations with people. And yes, but um, it, is, it is the ultimate fear as a, as a writer. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to that um, a bit of what we were saying earlier about not just doing it for the sake of it. Like you don't just want to put something that's, because again, you'll just turn people off perhaps reading in the future. You want to make it high quality and worthwhile because it's something that has your name on as your passion project. And I, I just think there is so much mediocre, like crap out there. You know, I wade through it daily. Uh, I'm a big reader. I'm always looking for things to read. And I cannot believe the amount of mediocre nothingness that is published. And I just feel like not, you know, I just feel like if I'm going to add to this noise, I, I can't, I've got to have the, I've got to have this, the pride that I haven't added to that sort of middle ground of nothingness that, that I truly believe that if I'm going to add to it, I'm adding something of value. And it doesn't mean it's the best thing out there. It just means that I think it's a value. And um, yeah, I, I think it's, and I, and I, that would be advice to, to people listening as well. You know, don't put something out that you don't think is excellent because you wouldn't listen to it or read it and I think like as a freelancer and as a blogger you don't have editors holding you to that standard when you're when it's just you and it's late and you know but you've got to um you've got and I and I really see that with um success stories around me it's not necessarily that they've got the shiniest blog or uh but it was proper engagement which I think is which is what we're all after if you maintain a level of, if you really strive for excellence in what you do, then I, I think I think you will feel better and you will get better results. Yeah, because it is about that personal connection and not necessarily having the most all singing, all dancing platform. I mean, Andy, do you ever struggle to come up with ideas? I see it's the opposite. I've got too too many ideas. I've got so many lists of ideas which kind of get rediscovered sort of six months later. And I realise I've not done any of them because, I don't know, the news agendas come along and that's just dominated what I need to write about anyway. But, but certainly when I was doing more freelance than I am now and actually properly going out pitching, because the moment it's I'm quite lucky that I've got basically regular gigs, weekly column for Metro, monthly column for Reader's Digest. That's all I'm doing for freelance because I don't need to do anymore. But there was a fantastic magazine that Lily and I both used to write for called Money Wise that sadly now doesn't exist but I would keep my best ideas or certain ideas aside for that which I knew would work in a certain way and often the more investigative stuff I would you know right let's park that over there they will be ones that I'll pitch to them or you know pitch stuff maybe unsuccessfully but pitch them to other publications as well and try and sort of know that what I'm doing over there there is a distinction between my freelance work and the stuff that goes on on the blog obviously there's going to be some crossover there's going to be stuff that um can potentially be a bit similar but you've also got to remember then that there are different audiences you know in all these places as well so it's it's not going to be the end of the world if i cover something on my blog and i also cover it in in one of the columns because you know not many people or some people but most people are going to read them fresh and obviously you give it a different approach a different angle um that it doesn't feel like plagiarizing yourself <laughs> which is something to, to obviously to be aware of and particularly if you've been doing it a long time like i have so it's eight years now and i'm doing sort of three articles on the blog a week plus youtube plus the podcast you know at some point i am you know covering stuff again and again and again and, and the, the trick there if you're worried about time is sometimes you wrote something that was really good a couple of years ago you can just freshen it up and publish it again because it's it's yours. You can do that. And it's still, as long as it's still relevant and still good. Um, I don't have a problem with, with doing that. 
It's interesting you mentioned there as well the YouTube channel and the podcasting and obviously you're you're active on on social media and I just wonder now as these days as well blogging was kind of you know the baby a couple of decades ago and now it's sort of social influences do you see I mean do you view yourself as a blogger or a social influencer like what is the difference between the two? So I, I've I've come on a bit of a journey with this obviously I was in started off in TV, but because I said I never did the kind of the proper qualifications, I've always found myself that kind of imposter syndrome in the world of like proper journalists, so to speak. And it's only been in the last uh, two years or so that I thought, yeah, do you know what? I am a journalist. And I actually tend to say journalist more than blogger because there was always seen a kind of a, um, a kind of, I'm not saying journalists would look down on bloggers, but certainly that sense of you're not the same level. And I've kind of obviously been on both. Um, but then when it comes to social media, I, mean, I hate the word influencer. I really, I really do. And um, but I do think particularly over the last 18 months since the pandemic has kicked off. That is where I'm seeing um, other journalists going for the quotes. You know, they're not going to me as a you know, money expert or as a blogger. Um, they're going to someone on TikTok, someone on YouTube. And although I have a presence in different places, um, it's about, sadly, it seems to be like the more followers you have, that's seen as your credentials rather than actually a, a, a load of work, you know, that you can see that this person has been doing this for a while. They know what they're talking about. You can trust them. Um, where it's just like, oh, okay, look, those are nice sort of shiny real. So that's good enough to get them on board. So it's an interesting kind of world we're here. And I think, I definitely think new people starting off now, not talking about freelancers starting something up, but people just starting from scratch, hobbyists who make it their full-time job yeah it's it's youtube and it's instagram and even tiktok now that's that's the place they're starting they're not starting with blogs yeah it's interesting isn't it how it's it kind of every few years it evolves into something something new brilliant okay i think we're gonna kind of wrap up now but but as we do i just wanted to ask you uh, marissa we'll come to you first kind of what your one top tip would be from today's chat um if someone's thinking of starting a blog kind of what would you say to them um i would i i have been asked this a few times and i always say to, to not worry about the frills to focus on um what it is you're really trying to say and who you're trying to say it to and i mean it's such a kind of overused word but just to, to, to be authentic in it and that is what you should put your energy into. Do not worry about how your blog looks or what font you are using or any of those things or, your, you know, or how many people are watching it on YouTube or however you're prepared to do it or how good the quality of your uh, podcast is. I think that will all come later, you know, and none of that will really matter if you haven't got the substance at the heart of it. So that's what I don't worry about that. Just just kind of focus on what you really want to say. Oh, substance over style. I like I like that kind of approach in every walk of life. Um, Andy, same question to you. What would be your one takeaway bit of advice from today's chat? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd echo all of that and say that, you know, really before you start as well, though, is think about why you are doing it. Make sure you know what, what, what the actual end goal is. If it is just an outlet or if it is to kind of just have a small sort of portfolio to reposition you for other freelance things you're applying for, then that's what you need to, to think, think about and focus on and not worry about how many people have read it or any of the things that Marissa just said. If you are thinking you want this to become actually your dominant 
you know, start off as a proper side hustle and potentially move into, into a full-time occupation. Um, it is a very, 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 very different uh, animal. And then you're talking about all the kind of things like SEO and all this stuff really comes into play. And that's a much longer game. You can do it, but you then need to think about that stuff relatively soon. So what is it? What's the end goal? And that will really kind of uh, dictate your approach. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, finally, just as a way of sharing the freelance love, we want to ask you both, who is the freelance journalist that's caught your eye recently? So someone who's done a really good piece of work or someone you admire? Marissa, can we come to you first? Sure. Um, I would say Louise Tickle, who's a British freelance journalist. Um, and she's, uh, I think she's right off The Guardian, but her work now focuses on um, accessing the family courts. And her work to make the family courts, which are um, historically very opaque and you cannot report on, to, to create greater transparency, um, it's been amazing. It's just been amazing to watch what she's doing, getting into hearings, um, reporting on cases. She's also done an incredible podcast series with Tortoise called Hidden Homicides, um, which is a very, very powerful uh, series on... Uh, women whose um, deaths have kind of been marked as mysterious, but that most likely were, was a domestic homicide. Um, but just always incredible storytelling with such purpose. And actually with the family um, courts, she's, um, she's breaking ground. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's real journalism in action is the kind of makes me starry eyed about journalism. You know, it's really kind of changing the world stuff. Um, so definitely follow her on Twitter and she's very transparent about her work so you just learn a lot about her processes and how she's fighting this so it's just if you've got any interest in journalism at all I think it's a really interesting thing to watch play out. That's such a good shout out I have read some of her work before and it's that she is one of those journalists who you think oh I really need to up my game <laughs> because this is what I, this is the kind of stuff I want to do. Um, and you're right, you can learn a lot. She speaks a lot about media law and kind of the processes of her getting into those hearings and things. So, yeah, especially I would say students. That's She's a really good person to follow. So, uh, Andy, same question to you. Who Who's the freelancer that you want to give a little shout out to? Yeah, I mean, there, there were quite a few of them have sort of recently got sort of staff jobs, bizarrely sort of running sort of um, corporate uh money sort of blogs but um there's actually one person who didn't have the background of you know trained as a journalist it's probably a good one to, to give her a shout out she started off with her own blog her name's jenny hill and her, her blog was can't swing a cat but she's gone on from there to you know taking shifts in like a little tesco to kind of supplement the kind of the freelance gig she was getting to now be fully freelancing for the likes of vice and place like that and she's got a really lovely voice a really lovely approach and a lot of stuff they're talking about uh, women and money and young women and money as well which um, I think is is really fresh and it's just nice to see someone again make that transition into kind of getting decent commissions from you know uh, doing it their own way and, and just being good enough to kind of to get there. Yeah that's a really that's a really good shout out as well actually um, I like the fact that we often get many women mentioned as well <laughs> that's really good good to add to the list and we'll put all those details in the show notes as well of, of everyone that we've um, mentioned today I think we're going to wrap up the episode now um, but that's been really helpful thank you both so much that's given a really fascinating insight into the world of blogging 
Uh, you can find out more about us and all the resources uh, that we offer at our website, freelancingforjournalists.com, um, as well as joining our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community. If you haven't already, there's we have 5,000 members on there now. Yes, and over on social media, we're at Freelancing4, and you can also follow us individually. On Twitter, I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. Um, we also want to say thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our producer, Maddie Drury. And we will be back again same time next week. But goodbye for now. Bye.